ultimate questions of meaning and purpose quickly surface when we are confronted with our own mortality. It's something that no one will escape in the present. How do we understand our lives and our deaths? The scriptures speak clearly to these ultimate issues. Welcome to Every Last Word, a radio and internet program with Dr. Philip Ryken, teaching the whole Bible to change your whole life. We're in a verse-by-verse study of the life of Elijah. In today's passage, we see how the rebellious King Ahaziah responds to his fatal injury. Well, Phil, today we learn all about King Ahaziah. He's King Ahab's evil offspring. What exactly made Ahaziah so evil in the sight of the Lord? Mark, here's a good example of the sins of the father and also, frankly, the sins of the mother being passed down to the son. And like his father Ahab, Ahaziah was a man who did not seek the counsel of the Lord, and particularly in the story we're going to learn about today, who sought out the help of a false god, ultimately Satan himself, to tell him whether he was going to survive his illness or not. Well, Phil, today's story deals with the topic of medicine. How should we view that and its ability to preserve or extend life? You know, Mark, easy to imagine that there are people listening to our program today who are dealing with one uh, physical difficulty or another, or perhaps have some family member who needs medical treatment. And of course, effective and skillful medical treatment is a wonderful blessing from the Lord. It's part of the abilities that God has given us to understand and to use creation. But there is a danger that comes when we put our faith and our trust and our confidence in medicine itself. Even that can become an idol rather than putting our trust and our confidence in God and in His will for our physical well-being. Hmm. Thanks, Phil. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 51, and listen to God's Word for us today. During the summer of 1995, Mickey Mantle lay on his deathbed. He had severe cancer of the liver. A lifetime of the Drinking that had begun during his days as a center fielder for the New York Yankees had finally begun to catch up with him. Mickey was having chemo during that summer, but there was no chance of recovery. Things that matter when you are a big baseball star do not seem to matter very much when you are just another cancer patient. A career total of 536 home runs a lifetime batting average of 298, 12 World Series championships, three most valuable player awards and a triple crown. All those things will get you into the Hall of Fame, but they will not get you into heaven. Everything that you have ever done in this life amounts to nothing when you are lying on your deathbed. In 2 Kings chapter 1, as this book of the Bible opens, King Ahaziah, son of King Ahab, is lying on his deathbed. He has had a little mishap, an unfortunate little accident at home. In fact, this first chapter starts out a little bit like an episode of Home Improvement. I don't know if Ahaziah had been attempting some dangerous repairs around the palace or if he was just plain clumsy, but he had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. 
The Hebrew word for lattice is a word for a window or a balcony. So perhaps Ahaziah was doing the windows when he fell, or perhaps he was leaning against the balustrade when it gave way. But in any case, his injuries have turned out to be serious. His life hangs in the balance. And he finds himself lying on the couch in his royal apartments, afraid that he might not recover. What would you do if you were badly hurt and thought that there might be a chance you might not recover? Ahaziah does two things in this chapter, and they are both the wrong things to do. He consulted the devil, and he confronted God. First, Ahaziah sent messengers, saying to them, Go and consult Baal Zabub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. Verse 2. The name Baal Zabub means the Lord of the Flies. So perhaps this was a god who is supposed to protect his worshipers from flies and other insects. Or perhaps the name is simply a Hebrew insult. It sounds almost like the title Baal Zabul, which means Prince of Baal. So maybe the Israelites called him Baal Zabub just to make fun of him. Whoever he was, he was one of the Baals, one of the false gods of the Canaanites. In the New Testament, he is called Beelzebub. When Jesus cast out demons, the people said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Jesus answered by acknowledging the spiritual reality of such demons. He said, If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? Beelzebub is another name for Satan himself, or at least for one of his demons. And so when King Ahaziah tried to consult Baal-zebub, he was consulting with the devil. And of course, there was no reason for Ahaziah to send for the devil. He could have called upon the God of Israel. As his messengers were traveling towards Ekron, they met a prophet on the road, When they described the man back at the palace, Ahaziah recognized him at once. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he was a man with a garment of hair, or better, just a hairy man, and with a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah, the Tishbite. How typical of Elijah to show up where he is least wanted, and to catch the house of Ahab by surprise. The point is that Ahaziah could have found out what God had to say about his chances of recovery. He could have sent for Elijah instead of going to Ekron. He knew where to get a hold of him. Like the godly king Jehoshaphat, whom we met in the previous chapter, Ahaziah could have first sought the counsel of the Lord but he chose to talk to the devil instead, which is why God condemns him. Verse 3, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? This rebuke is repeated twice more in this chapter, again in verse 6 and again in verse 16. Is there no God in Israel? Is there no God in Israel? 
Of course, there is a God in Israel. He is the God who sent three years of drought upon this land. He is the God who fed Elijah with ravens and gave bread to the widow of Zarephath and raised her son from the dead. He is the God who sent fire upon the mountain and destroyed the prophets of Baal. He is the God who spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. He is the God who met Ahab in the vineyard and pronounced judgment against him and struck him down in battle. Yes, there is a God in Israel. One of the great burdens of Elijah's ministry has been to demonstrate the reality and the sovereignty of Almighty God. But Ahaziah will have nothing to do with him. He would rather dance with the devil than walk with God. Ahaziah does teach us not to go to the devil for help. Witchcraft and astrology and the occult are alive and well in modern America. Satan has even set up shop in Philadelphia. You can walk out the doors of this church in any direction and consult a medium up 17th Street to the north or over on Walnut Street to the west or across Spruce Street to the east or down to South Street in the south. Crystal balls, tarot cards, palm readings, you name it, you can get it. To say nothing of psychic hotlines on television or horoscopes in the newspapers and magazines. The devil is always inviting the people of our culture to set up an appointment with him. But you must not consult him. If you want to know God's will for your life, do what King Jehoshaphat did. Seek first the counsel of the Lord. Read your Bible. Talk to godly friends. Pray for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. But do not send for Beelzebub. Most people, and I suppose that includes many Christians, do not have enough respect for the power of Satan. We see horoscopes in the newspaper and they seem relatively harmless. We may even check them out from time to time just for fun. Or perhaps we walk by the spiritist shops in the city and we feel a little spooky, but we do not sense spiritual danger. That these are the kinds of spiritual powers, the kinds of astrologers, the kind of consulting with Beelzebub, which are condemned everywhere in Scripture. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One way to tell if you have enough respect for demonic powers is to notice how often you pray against them. The Lord Jesus Christ instructs us to pray every day for spiritual protection. Remember the words of the Lord's Prayer, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is not so much a general prayer about evil as it is a specific prayer for deliverance from the evil one, from Satan himself. We should pray daily that our church and our pastors will not stumble into his traps. We should pray daily that our friends and families will be delivered from his power. And we should pray that God will protect our own hearts from this evil one. Not that we are afraid of Satan. The devil may be stronger than us, but he is not stronger than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. By his death, Jesus destroyed him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Satan cannot destroy anyone who has the Spirit of God living in his or her heart. As the Apostle James writes, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, maybe when you are sick, you are not tempted to send for Beelzebub. Perhaps not. But there is another idol, another false god you may be tempted to trust. When people in our culture want to know if they will recover, they call a doctor. And calling a doctor can be a way of going to Ekron. It is possible to get so wrapped up in medical concerns, so absorbed in treatment schedules, so fascinated by the latest cures and so reliant on medication that you forget in your illness to trust in God. Faith in modern medicine can be a form of idolatry. It is one of the false gods of our day. Now, of course, good medical care is one of the ways God can take care of you. Although God sometimes heals in miraculous ways, his usual practice is to heal people through normal means. So there is nothing wrong with getting the best medical advice. In fact, I recommend it. But put your ultimate confidence not in your doctor, but in the Lord. The only safe place to put your trust for life and for death is in the Lord God himself. Someone who says, I am at peace about this operation because there is a 95% chance of success is not trusting in God first. It is much better to say something like this, this operation is likely to be successful, but whether it is or not, I am at peace because my trust is in God and in his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the body. As he walked on this earth, Jesus was always touching people to heal them. He gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and clean skin to the leper and legs to the crippled. Luke tells in his gospel how Jesus went through Galilee, healing every disease and sickness among the people. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Jesus even brought the dead back to life. He did all these things to show that he is the Lord of the body. And so when you are lying on your deathbed or at least your sickbed, it will not help to consult with Beelzebub to see if you will recover. When there is no chance of recovery, it is no use sending for a team of doctors You must put your trust in the Lord. King Ahaziah did not trust in the Lord. The man who consults the devil or any other false god is doomed. Ahaziah's death sentence is pronounced three times in this chapter. Elijah insists on writing the same prognosis on his medical charts over and over again. You will not leave the bed you are lying on you will certainly die. When Ahaziah heard that, he did what a lot of people do when they get a diagnosis they don't like. 
He tried to get a second opinion. And he did so by trying to confront God. He sent one of his captains to find Elijah with an armed guard of 50 men. He wanted to seize him and force him to give him a different prophecy. Notice how his captain orders Elijah around in verse 9. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. We learn a valuable lesson from this captain. Always be careful what you ask for. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. It came down all right. The fire of divine judgment. Some scholars have suggested that Elijah's capacities began to diminish towards the end of his ministry. They say that it was all downhill after Mount Carmel. They say that after Elijah ran away to Horeb and went suicidal, that he was never the same prophet again. I'm not so sure about that. He still seems pretty powerful to me. But Ahaziah was unimpressed. Word got back to him that his men were missing, and at this the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. This captain, you see, is more impatient than the first. He tells Elijah to come down right this minute. And that was the last mistake he ever made. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. You see, the fires of judgment are the proper punishment for those who mistreat God's prophet. When Jesus' disciples saw the Samaritans reject Jesus, they thought of this passage from the Old Testament. They wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy God's enemies, to destroy those who confronted God and rejected his prophet. Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked them because it was not their place to judge. But we learn from this passage that it is God's place to judge. God was teaching Ahaziah not to mess with his prophets. Ahaziah's soldiers had come to do Elijah harm. That is why, as we read in verse 15, Elijah was afraid for his safety. Ahaziah was attacking God's prophet to get back at God. Notice that his soldiers address Elijah specifically as man of God. Ahaziah was so angry with God for not giving him a chance of recovery that he lashed out at God's man, Elijah. By confronting God in this way, Ahaziah was repeating the sins of his father. You may remember how King Ahab always opposed the Lord's prophets. When he met Elijah on the road during the drought, he called him a troublemaker. Later, when he met Elijah in Naboth's vineyard, he called him his enemy. You may remember from last week how when Ahab sent for Micaiah, he testified that he hated him. And now we see that Ahaziah is just like his dad. This is what the end of 1 Kings shows. 
If you turn back a page in your Bibles, and you can see, by the way, how 2 Kings picks up right where 1 Kings leaves off. This is really one book in two parts. Reading from 1 Kings 22, verse 51, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, because he walked in the ways of his father and mother. He served and worshipped Baal and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger, just as his father had done. Like father, like son. The sins of the father will be visited upon the son. And so will the sins of the mother. The Bible rarely mentions a mother's sins like this, but Jezebel is singled out for dishonorable mention. Her sins had worked their poison into Ahaziah's veins. This is one of the things that keeps parents awake at night. They see the sins of their children and they feel like there is something familiar about them. Then they realize what it is. Their children commit the same sins that they themselves commit. Now, that does not mean that you cannot escape what some people might consider a bad background. God is rich in mercy. His grace can change the whole direction of a family. Some of the greatest saints have come from the worst families. But what it does mean is that parents need to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in their families. They need to pray that their children will receive Christ so that their sins will be forgiven And they need to pray that they themselves would become better examples of the character of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, a Brinks truck overturned and spilled nearly a million dollars in loose change onto a poor Miami street. Maybe you saw it on the news. People ran to the scene of the accident and began scrambling for nickels on the pavement, stuffing their pockets full of change. Most of them kept it. But one woman later returned $19.53, and she explained why. I have children, and I needed to set a good example. That is a wonderful reason to do the right thing. Mothers and fathers must be holy parents, partly because they love God, and partly so that their children will not turn out like Ahaziah. Ahaziah never did learn how to behave himself. We read in verse 13 that the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. Having already committed some 100 men to the flames, he is going to keep trying until he gets his way with God. Now, Ahaziah may have been a little slow on the uptake, but this third captain wasn't. The third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah, verse 13. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. Divine judgment had put the proper fear of God into this captain. Like Ahaziah, he was confronted with his own mortality. Like Ahaziah, he had every reason to believe that he was about to die. If the fire of God fell on him, there would be no chance of recovery. And so he threw himself on God's mercy, 
Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life. And we see in the actions of this third captain exactly what King Ahaziah should have done. When he realized that he had no chance of recovery, he should have thrown himself on God's mercy. For God is a merciful God. Surely he would have shown mercy to Ahaziah. Surely God would have spared his life the way he spared the life of this third captain and his men. Surely he would have spared his life the way he spared the life of Ahab, even Ahab, when he showed mercy to him in Naboth's vineyard. And surely God would have shown Ahaziah the kind of mercy he showed to King Hezekiah. The story of Hezekiah's illness is recounted in 2 Kings chapter 20. Like Ahaziah, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. And like Ahaziah, the Lord's prophet told him he had no chance of recovery. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. But unlike Ahaziah, Hezekiah did not send for Baal Zabub. He did not dance with the devil. Instead, he put his trust in the Lord. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, that was not the best prayer he might have offered. Hezekiah was not as penitent as he might have been. But at least he prayed to the right God, the living God, who can do what Beelzebub can never do. God heard Hezekiah's plea for mercy, and he said, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. Even when there was no chance of recovery, God healed Hezekiah. Whenever you are sick or injured or even dying, the only thing to do is to throw yourself on God's mercy. The French philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal suffered from a variety of illnesses for many years before dying at the age of 39. Once when he was sick in bed and wondering if he would ever recover, he prayed to the living God like this, O Lord, whose spirit is so good and gracious in all things, grant me grace not to act like a heathen, in the state to which thy justice has brought me. But that like a true Christian, I may acknowledge thee for my Father and my God in whatsoever circumstances I am placed. Thou gavest me health to be spent in serving thee, and I perverted it to a use altogether profane, that is, serving myself. Now thou hast sent me a sickness for my correction. Oh, Suffer me not to use this likewise to provoke thee by my impatience. If my heart has been filled with the love of the world while I was in possession of strength, destroy my vigor to promote my salvation. And either by weakness of body or the zeal of charity, render me incapable of enjoying the world 
that my delight may be only in thee. Surely if Ahaziah had prayed with the humility of Pascal, God would have spared his life. Surely if he had turned to God in fear, like the third captain, or in repentance like Ahab, or in desperation like Hezekiah, God would have healed him. But Ahaziah's first impulse was to send for the devil, and his second impulse was to confront God, and he never repented for those sins. The next medical report we are given is not a prognosis about him, but a post-mortem. Verse 17, so he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Now Ahaziah, lying on his deathbed with no chance of recovery, in addition to teaching us how to handle our own illnesses and diseases, is also a picture of the sinner without Christ. Every human being is born alive in the body, but dead in the soul because of sin. From the moment of your first breath, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, as the scripture says. It is almost as if you were born into this world and laid on your deathbed from the very beginning. It is not even like you were on life support, but you were actually already as good as dead, spiritually speaking. The Bible teaches that spiritual death leads to eternal death. Death in this life leads to death in the life to come, and there is no chance of recovery. The words of Elijah in his prognosis for Ahaziah might just as well be applied to every human being. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. If you want to live, really live in this life and in the next, you must turn to Jesus Christ. You must go to him for mercy, to him for forgiveness, to him for salvation, to him for life. Jesus Christ died on the cross to atone for sins. He was raised from the dead to conquer death, and there is no way to get mercy from God or to get eternal life from God except through Jesus Christ. He is the only hope. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only way to make a full recovery from sin and death is to throw yourself on the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And that is what Mickey Mantle did. During his months in the hospital, he was often visited by his close friend and former Yankee teammate, Bobby Richardson. Bobby Richardson was a good second baseman. But much more importantly than that, he was and is a devout Christian. And having long prayed for Mickey's salvation, Bobby was able to persuade him of the truth of the gospel. In the last weeks of his life, Mickey Mantle gave verbal testimony to his faith in Jesus Christ. He confessed with his mouth 
that Jesus is Lord, the verse he loved to quote most was this one, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so it was that even as he lay on his deathbed with no chance of recovery, his prognosis was very, very good. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise for the way that the scriptures confront us with the ultimate issues of life and death. We look upon the example of Ahaziah with fear. For we know how tempted we are to trust in other things and other gods, even perhaps in the devil himself for salvation, rather than throwing ourselves on your mercy. And so we do throw ourselves on your mercy. We ask that you would forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. We ask that you would heal the diseases of our bodies, but most of all that you would heal our souls from sin and receive us unto eternal life in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Every Last Word, a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Philip Graham Ryken. We appreciate your ongoing support of this broadcast ministry. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades, even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching that will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. The Alliance also produces the radio broadcasts The Bible Study Hour, featuring the teaching of the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, and Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, featuring the Bible teaching of the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. For a full list of radio stations carrying our programs, please visit our website at www.alliancenet.org. Every Last Word continues through your generous gifts and financial support. If you would like to see this program continue to benefit others as it has benefited you, please prayerfully consider becoming a friend of the Alliance. For more information or to make a contribution, please contact us by calling toll-free 1-800-488-1888. You can also send us a gift by writing to Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, PA, 19103. Or you can visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians. Thank you again for your continued support and for listening to Every Last Word. <laughs>